What's up? I'm Luke. And I'm Tyler. <laughs> Welcome to Sink, Swimmer, Fly, our inaugural episode. We've got with us uh, in the, uh, we'll call it a studio, in the studio with us, Lyle Taylor. How's it going? Hey, man. Glad, you, thanks for coming. Very Indeed. first one, man. Feeling yeah. the vibes. Yeah, Tyler finally looked up what the word inaugural meant, and he's been using it all week. Yeah, we, we ran a sample podcast like a week ago, and he kept saying this word, <laughs> inaugural. I was like, what? what? Half of the uh, podcast was about the definition of the word, I think. Yeah, and I was too lazy to look it up and tell him, and I don't know how to spell it either, so we were, we were toast. Inaugural. But hey, thanks for coming, despite all of that. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so, for those who don't know you, which is probably a few people, do you want to just like, who are you? Uh, what do you do in this world? <laughs> Uh, my name's Lyle, and I'm in recovery. Uh, it's kind of my biggest uh, point of my life. Um, yeah, I'm a father. Uh, I'm employed. Mm. Uh, An employable man these days, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, that's about it. So you're a simple man? Simple man, simple-minded. Okay. Stone um, farm kid. Luke has referred to you as a spiritual guru. Yeah, I uh, maybe an overstatement. I don't know, man. Um, every time I I talk to you and like I need anything, I usually get like this really bizarrely plain spoken, but like kind came from a mountain, like the dude who lives in a cave in a mountain, just drinks like spring runoff, and is like one with the land. That's that's when I when I need something, I go to you and I get that, and that's always satisfactory. So um, we're real excited to have you on here for that reason, because uh, you've helped me a lot and. Uh, not to speak for Tyler because he's got a microphone, but I think you've helped him a lot too. Very true. Um, we all kind of met up in uh, Erie's community of uh, people in recovery, and uh, that's kind of what brought us all together. And that's we wanted to start this very first uh, podcast w- with that kind of that as a root is what we're doing. Um, it's not primarily what we're doing, but it's important to talk about, especially right off the rip. And Lyle was one of the first dudes that came to my mind. We're glad you're here, dude. Thanks, man. I'm glad to be here. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, recovery is uh, is a beautiful, beautiful thing, man. Uh, brings a lot of people, a lot of like-minded people together that weren't always together. Absolutely. So um, to kind of start this off, I want to ask you, what is recovery? Because like, when I hear the word recovery, I think, okay, somebody broke their leg, his leg's not broken anymore, he's recovered, right? And uh, what is what is recovery? Are we referring to recovery from drugs and alcohol? Or drugs like alcohol, um, and uh, what is the process of recovery? Does it end? What does it mean to you? Elaborate. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, without getting into like the details of what the definition of a disease is, there's this thing called addiction, and uh, you know, it, it came to a point in my life where it was either um, I did something about it, I reached out for help, or uh, I was gonna die as a result of it. And uh, so being in the process of recovery is uh, <clears throat> one of those ever, everlasting endeavors. Um, like I have, the, I have the addiction today in my brain as much as I did any day during active addiction. Um, it's just I have better tools to deal with that, and that's through the community of recovery. I think, I think there's a misconception. I really think, and I've had family members that thought this and friends, like, okay, you went to, like, a 28-day program, and now, like, you're just cured, or, like, what, you know, this guy just went to rehab, why is he still getting high? And I, I don't think a lot of people are understanding it's a lifelong battle that, um, and guys like us are helping each other out because you get stuck in this 
you know, like isolated from the world environment and you're not reaching out to people and you're not staying on top of and maintaining like your sobriety or your, or, or being clean. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think we all have that, that one thing that's like at the front part of our brain that like we want to hide from the world that we don't want people to know and that, you know, put a lot of energy into, uh, masking or, or, you know, trying to break away from that reality. And, uh, you know, that kept me really sick for a long time. Uh, getting that out in a, in a safe area in, in, in like-minded, uh, people and <clears throat> really helped me, uh, be able to deal with it on a daily basis. It's a progress, right? I mean, like none, like just to clarify, um, all three of us have extensive shady drug backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'd like to say, speaking for myself, um, it's been several, several months. I'm fairly new in this process once again. And, uh, it's something that's taken a priority, like as number one, like one of those things, like if you don't keep it number one, then everything else in front of it will disappear. Um, and you two, uh, specifically have been guys that have helped me do that. Uh, I think one of the, the most, I mean, I know I'm not the guest or anything, but I think, uh, it's really important that, um, you know, we recognize that in recovery, we all kind of help each other. And that guy who's just coming in, uh, can really show us a lot. And Lyle, you, you, would, would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. <clears throat> um, The, the way that this, you know, this disease works for me, man, is that it, it's just forever a part of me and, and like my ego and, 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 and society, you know, I should be further along. I should have my, I should have my stuff together. I should be able to do this. And I, and, and the reality of the situation is, is that's not the case. I cannot do this alone. And so seeing that guy coming, coming in off a, off a fresh run, like, really puts it into perspective for me. Like really brings that reality of that no one is successfully using drugs. Mm -hmm. So um, when you, uh, so your story, does it involve relapse? Did you go to rehab? I mean, what, what happened with you and how did you get here? Well, first off, how long, how long have you been uh, completely clean from all um, drugs and alcohol? So just a shade over five years. Um, Whee! Yeah. <laughs> Congrats, dude. Uh, not, not long enough. I should caveat that. Um, so the end of my, uh, active addiction, uh, you know, I was completely depleted as a human being. Um, the manner in which I use wasn't going to directly result in my death, but there are more ways to die than that. And I'm familiar with them all. And, uh, so, uh, at my very rock bottom, you know, when I was like the most scared for life, something real primal inside of me, uh, you know, kind of said to me that like, I'm not going to die today. And so through that, I reached out and uh, enrolled myself into a detox center for five glorious days. And, uh, and uh, after that, um, you know, really when I got out of there was uh, the beginning of my, of my recovery. So you just did the five days in detox. You didn't stick around for the inpatient program. Yeah, I knew nothing about recovery whatsoever. Um, You're a miracle, bro. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, for sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I just didn't have any concept of what recovery was, didn't know that there was like a whole community or a process or, or institutions or anything like that. Uh, you know, my addict brain told me that like I had to go back to work, you know, and I had to, I had to make money because like I derived a lot of my self-worth from my ability to make money. And, 
and, and support, you know, my family at the time. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's where, that's where that brought me after, after detox. And, uh, thankfully I got, got involved in, uh, you know, the community of recovery and, uh, yeah, from there, man, it's been, it's been a wild ride. And that's the, I think there's a misconception too. Like, and you, you wouldn't think that today that there's still this stigma on, you know, that people that do drugs are just poor or from a certain part of the city or purposely on this mission to ruin everybody else's life. There's like, I mean, you grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. Uh, I grew up to good people and, uh, your father's like a pastor Mm. and it's, it's like, Oh no, what's up? It's what's up with like these people like doing, doing drugs and alcohol. And, and I think I found out and I see it a lot of other people. It's something like inside of us that, might not have came from like where we grew up or or uh, who we grew up around and it's more like something that's just inside of you that's very um very vicious you know what i mean and in the symptoms of of that feeling are oh i'm gonna i'm gonna cope with drugs and alcohol oh absolutely um you know addiction does not care where you come from doesn't care that your parents love you doesn't care that you have a nice house or anything else like that um it'll it'll snatch you up the same so uh, I know when I entered into recovery or, or maybe long before I entered into recovery, I had this problem where I those differences that I saw with people were like I, I didn't have a state number. You know, I hadn't served a prison sentence. I hadn't been on probation. I've never o- overdosed and been brought back to life. Right. I'm not like those guys. Right. That right. I didn't I didn't use my drugs this way. I only did this. Uh, and that kept me out of the process of recovery, looking for those differences um, so like, how do you, how do you reconcile that? Like, how, how did you get over that? I mean, like you said, you, you felt like your disease wasn't, or the way you were using wasn't going to kill you immediately. And a lot of people, that is their story. Right. So, you know, uh, one of the things that the disease of addiction did to me was, uh, the isolation, you know, completely made me feel like I was the only one that had my problems. No one was ever going to understand me. You couldn't possibly relate to me, um, you know, and, and, and just really in this self-imposed prison that, like, I saw no way out of. And uh, it wasn't until, like, uh, the desperation of death on the other side of my next decision um, did, I, did I get a little bit of open-mindedness to, like, give something else a shot. I often say that like I've done a lot of worse I've done a lot of worse things in my life than try to uh, open up to another human being, and uh, really when you start peeling back those layers, uh, all those pretenses of posturing and and how you look and things like that and and the things that separate you know the differences between people and start concentrating on the similarities and like the struggle that is humanity does like. Did, did, did my brain really start to open up? So I heard the word that stuck out to me there was open-mindedness. And uh, how did that develop for you? Was, was it there right away as soon as you, you recognized the need? Um, I got to say in early recovery, um, it was uh, for lack of other options. Um, you know, I had felt that, you know, <clears throat> thinking myself as a, an, an intellectual, a smart individual, that like I was smarter than this and that I could outthink this disease or this problem that I had. It was only, uh, um, I only had to move the pieces around the board in, in different order. And, and it, was a, it was a constant struggle to manufacture success. And, and it wasn't until that like, 
the blatant answer was, uh, I'm just bad at this. Like I need to stop. And like, so just that, uh, desperation of not having, not having any, op- knowing in my soul that like, I didn't have the answers and like, I need to go talk to somebody that may have the answers. And like, I found that. So you were a bad drug addict then? In this- <laughs> I was an unsuccessful drug addict. <laughs> Me as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to third that one. Absolutely. But uh, what, what does that mean, really? What is, what is a successful drug addict? Because I think like, that's kind of like an in-joke with, with recovery communities. But like, is there such a thing as a successful drug addict? A functioning alcoholic? <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think those are the, the, the like, rationalization or the, or the justification for my actions. You know, that like this outward success or this um, I'm accepted in these different uh, areas of my life. You know, as long as I can continue to do what I'm doing and no one catches me or no one calls me out on it and they allow me to to live in this facade, like that was what I viewed a successful functioning addict was. I remember... um... I remember several years ago now, uh, from like 2007, 2010, I was like, you know, I partied prior to that, but I became like a raging heroin user, you know, and I justified shooting heroin to myself and to others, you know, like, oh, I'm not as bad as these people. That's like, as, that's kind of as bad as it gets, right? So I realized that um, I couldn't use drugs and alcohol successfully. And then I cleaned up my act for several years and didn't really keep it a priority. You know, I didn't make a point to uh, stay within the community of recovery, ask for help when I needed it, do anything like that. I didn't really work on myself. I just discontinued the use of, of heroin. And then slowly, you know, oh, this isn't a disease. Like, I could pick this, right? I could, I could start drinking again and eating a couple of Adderall here and there. Um, and then all of a sudden, two years later, you know, justifying like, oh, you know, I'm not doing heroin. I'm just doing meth now. You know, like that's like, I don't really have a problem. I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to overdose on, on meth. And uh, until just like, I wasn't eating, like I was, I was dying from this disease. Um, and it, you can't really, ch- like, there's no levels. Like, okay, I'm not doing heroin. I'm doing this. But at the end of the day, I've got an issue with anything that's mood altering, you know? And I think that's what, what you're saying, like you got to come to a point where it's like, I'm not successfully using this at all or anything like this. Yeah. Um, you know, when it, when it got to the end there, I was like, man, if I could, if I could just quit using drugs, if, if, if I, drugs are perfect, drugs are my problem. If I could just (laughs) stop using drugs, all of my problems would go away. And the reality of that situation is, is that, you know, I, I have a thinking disease and like, and the further I think about it, the further I get in recovery, the more I understand that, like, if drugs was never a thing, I would still have what I have. You know, I have something inside of me that wants to make me miserable and miserable enough that I want to die. So to me, um, I always had an issue with the personification of a disease, right? Like, it's a person within me. Uh, I got over that. Um, but it sounds a lot like what I hear you're sharing. Um, you talk about pride. And you talk about something that I think a lot of people would say is sort of like a pernicious depression. Um, have you, do you deal with mental health issues? Is that part of your story? Um, I can't say I've ever been clinically diagnosed, but like, oh man, hearing, hearing stories from other people that are, like I can identify and relate with a large spectrum of them. Um, you know, I, I got it explained to me real simple that like, 
a lot of mental diseases and, and certainly disease of addiction boils down to two things is a lack of perspective and a disassociation from reality. I was just dwelling on that, you know, soaking it in. Yeah, I think I'd make a great podcast if we just sat here in silence after he said something. <laughs> like shook our head for a while, like, yes, right, yes. And especially no video, just us, like, you can't hear us shaking our heads, but, like, my neck will eventually get rickety enough that you'll be able to hear it. This ties into, I think, why uh, I wanted to, I wanted to do this, you know, for sink, swim, or fly, you know, either, for me, I've, I've either been, like, going down rapidly or... Or being like when I do address my problems and work on them and work on how I treat people, how I treat myself on a daily basis, you know, I've always had a lot of promise. And then I get to a point where I'm scared of like maybe being successful or like being something that like I don't like I have a problem with me and I don't think I deserve these things in life or I don't deserve to be happy. And uh, I'm scared of like what reality and being an adult consists of so i just go back to my cave and do my drugs what i'm used to doing instead of so it's either you know sinking rapidly uh reaching full potential and flying or or just like treading in the middle awkwardly until you choose one or the one or the other and um and i thought that's why this would be a killer first episode talking about what's going on and it's super relevant for me at the moment and uh and I'm finding out it has to be into the future or I'm going to have some of these sim similar problems that we're talking about. Um, and that's why I like talking to you guys about this stuff because it, it keeps it on the mind. It gives me perspective and it knows that I'm not alone fighting, fighting these issues. Like we all three, you know, if I can speak, say, at one point thought we were the only people feeling it. We were super unique. Uh, there's no Absolutely. other people like us. You know, we're only doing this. We're only doing that. We're going to be just fine. And then found out that like we're completely you know slaves to this disease and like do we have to take a look at it do you feel me man uh, I, I feel you sir i as well good i'm glad um, we're doing this me too so uh, so one thing that and what tyler said made me think of this and maybe you can provide some uh, insight and advice is like the the fact that this is ongoing right so i've heard you say before that uh the disease of addiction is progressive correct so, and I've heard other people say, and maybe you, um, that, you know, recovery itself has to be progressive in order to kind of overcome that. So how do you maintain, how do you stay on top of your recovery? Does it get boring? Do you, what do you do? That, that is a, uh, you know, that's really a crux of a lot of, a lot of issues uh, that I've seen in the community is like, how, how do I stay involved? How do I, how do I continue to make this relevant? And like, in my in my opinion, that's like staying in touch with reality, and uh, you know, as Tyler was explaining the title of the podcast, you know, um, kind of what I was talking about earlier about like the way that my disease talks to me and the lies that it tries to tell me about that I should be further along. You know, I'm here and I should be there, and the reality is is that I'm allowed to be where I'm at, and and that is a, a huge part of why I continue to stay in recovery is that um, I'm allowed to hurt, you know, and, and I don't know how to deal with those feelings. You know, my drug use was during my developmental years. And like, so my coping mechanisms were 100% drugs. And so like, take the drugs out of me, I still don't have any coping mechanisms. So dealing with hurt 
dealing with feeling lonely, being angry, dealing with success, dealing with uh, good things that happen. Like, I don't know how to handle those things. And so recovery for me is, is staying involved, um, being open-minded, and continually asking for help. Yeah, I mean, I remember being 12 years old and uh, buying weed at school and like, not with anybody, just, Ooh. Ra- yeah, but randomly just like, I'm going to buy some weed today. Uh, you know, I think around that age, the feelings start coming up that like you should start assessing and like learning how to cope with them. And for me, I was like, you know, I don't like any of these feelings. Like I feel sad. I, I feel left out. I feel like I'm different from other people. So I'm going to like randomly buy some weed. It was like real, real swaggy. <laughs> Yeah, you, high schoolers usually don't get but, the best weed, but, from what I remember. It was some low grade, but anyway, ditch weed. <laughs> it's a brown frown. Mm. But um, <laughs> I remember like take buying this and like pre rolled, smoking it on my own, and then from there on out, I'd be going to school drunk. I'd be going to school high. Uh, bad breakup, do drugs. Uh, like this girl, Shane, like me, do drugs. Uh, got made fun of at school, do drugs, drink, and those were the years that I was. My brain was supposed to be learning like how to deal with that stuff as just being a person. So then you've got these, like, become an adult and somebody that's dealing with this kind of stuff clean and sober for the very first time. And that's the process, I think. You know, I think it's so much easier just to be like, I'm going to go back to what I know. For sure. As much as it's hurting everybody around me, I'm just going to go back to what's comfortable for me. You know what I mean? Well, and, like, the unspoken rule is that, like, you shut up and deal with it. You know, the unspoken rule is that, you know, just stop whining, you know, quit crying and, and deal with it. And, uh, it doesn't really work. <laughs> it doesn't really work for addicts. Uh, the way we deal with it is we run away, you know, whether that's physically, mentally, or emotionally, like we run away and it's not a sustainable business proposition. Like I cannot stay alive constantly on the run. It's exhausting. And what's in, um, you know, I didn't want to cornhole this podcast and just speaking about recovery. Pigeonhole, you mean? Pigeonhole, yeah, cornhole, whatever that's it is. A ter- but uh, <laughs> but we'll the thing out. is, is I think that it is. Uh, no, I like the word cornhole. Yeah. <laughs> but pigeons. Fly. I, I think that it's more relevant now than ever. Like watching uh, watching TV. I, I hear recovery commercials all the time. Listen to the radio. I don't remember being at. 13, 14, and all of a sudden the radio, like, if you have a problem with heroin, call this number. Like, I hear that all the time. But uh, do you remember hearing stuff like that when you were in high school? Was it talked about like that? Was it was everybody's dad and uncle, like, snorting oxies back then? Ooh, uh, I didn't hang out with too many dads and uncles back then. I don't... I, I say that from personal experience. I have, I have several uncles, like, it came out through my recovery that, like, I had some uncles that were, that were oh, like, uncle, uncle so-and-so. Is like yeah, don't don't is, out him on the air. Dude. Is doing pills or whatever. He's passed away now, but, oh, but I'm sorry that, to hear that. Yeah, I mean, but it's crazy. Uh, it's not just like we were talking earlier. It's not just people in the bad parts of town. It's it's everywhere, and it's pretty. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's pretty uh, obvious that it's a it's a major issue. So, uh, and, and you know, on that note, you're you're talking about family, right? And uh, how did, so families, like it, this, you know, I've heard it said this is a family disease. Uh, and, and when we get clean, we have to deal with the wreckage of our past. 
So, uh, you know, without going into anything you don't want to share, but like, what, what was that process like for you? Oh, slow and difficult and not the way I wanted it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not the way that I envisioned it to happen. Um, you know, it is an ongoing process. And like, you know, as much as, like anything, you want to do one action and then it be done. You know, you want to strike it from the record forever. You know, I did, I, I, I said sorry to this person or, or I'm, I made up for it in this way or whatever it is. And now we can never speak of it again. And like, that's the same rule as that like active addiction was. So like, Very I did, selfish apology. Absolutely. And, and there's a lot of absolutes in that. Exactly, man. It, my disease loves absolutes. Mm -hmm. It loves dealing in, in black and white because like that's where my rationalization can come in. Because like playing in the gray area is is you know where where I had the best. And 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 so as long as as far as dealing with family, you know I've heard it many times. It's like you know don't be sorry, be different. And and that continual commitment to staying. Uh, in recovery and and living uh, a, a better I don't know if better is the right word but living a different life of I'm not gonna revert back to uh, lying for the sake of lying or deception or, or manipulation is such a huge one um, you know I, I've, I'm the youngest of my family and so like being able to manipulate mom and dad is like that's what I, that's, that's my bread and butter absolutely yeah. that's what, that's what I, I've known the longest and so just kind of trying to rely on you know what is reality being honest with what my intentions are and what my feelings truly are um, that's how I deal with family and it's not always great it's not always great when you when you come out uh, to to the family and admit that you have a problem. You are essentially giving free reign for everyone to comment on your life and your choices, uh, which is extremely difficult. But uh, I didn't listen to anybody for a very long time. So hearing what people have to say, whether it's good criticism or bad criticism, it's just I, 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 I kind of earned that. And then that that uh, that thing that I've dealt with is like get clean. And then the whole world's supposed to cater to like and celebrate the fact that I'm clean. Give me a pat on the back. Like, can't you see what I've done here? And it's mm -hmm. like, really, it's it's not. It's uh, it's not. It's never gonna be like that. And there's never gonna be a parade because I didn't want to. Because I didn't shoot meth today. Mm. You know, that's and it's absurd. And that's ties right into that ego that feeds that selfishness that feeds this uh, this thing, addiction in general. And for me, it really it really ties into that validation. You know, like, who and what am I doing this for? You know, am I doing this for some external reason? You know, am I trying to substitute, once again, an external uh, entity for an internal emotion? And uh, my disease loves playing with that, loves going back and forth with that. And uh, see, no one really cares. C come back. Come back to the misery that you know. And uh, that's just not a good way to stay alive. So, um, and you said you have five years clean, is that right? Mm-hmm. It's a long time. Um, so let's get let's get real here, though. Do you ever think about using? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's uh, you know I think I think Just a lot. Little of, drink. <laughs> Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's a few things with that. Um, you know, there's there's only one thing I know about getting high, and that's not going to get me high enough. Um, <laughs> and that's true. And uh, you know. I think I think one of the misconceptions is that people in early recovery look at people with clean time and 
and be like, wow, you know, you, you don't know what it's like. You know, you don't know what it, you know what it's like uh, nowadays or, or with whatever's on the street or, wh- you know, whatever the latest drug is. But, like, I fully remember on getting high. I, fu- I, I, I There are numbers in my head that, like, can't be deleted from a context list. <laughs> you know, there's, there's uh, places to go. And it's not a matter of going through life as if drugs don't exist I fully am. Wa- I'm well aware that they exist. I just go in life. I go through life in difference of them. What's been the hardest thing you think you've dealt with in recovery? Um, the the constant um, ego check of there's no status, there's no position, there's no hierarchy. Um, you know, I my ego and in, in the way that I am, like I want to be established. I want to um, be, um, you know, be, like a lot of this comes back to my childhood, like um, not being allowed where I'm at, you know, like, uh, like I said, I'm the youngest. So like being behind a counter or something like that, or, or being somewhere in a store, you know, you're not allowed to be there. And, and so I just want to be accepted um, as if I was, uh, important or, you know, just that, that whole status thing. And so <clears throat> constantly coming in there, um, with just that, that, that level playing field is both, uh, really serene and, and, but, uh, is difficult to deal with on a continuous basis. Do you think that there's negative aspects to, uh, your character um, that you can that you can use like in a positive way like you like you think some of that is like oh I'm gonna help other addicts I'm gonna be there anytime somebody needs a phone call I'm gonna be that guy um, and, and inside it it gives you something like oh man it makes me feel good that I can be there for somebody but at the end of the day it's a very positive thing but you're using that craving for connection and to be wanted and to be loved in, in a positive way for sure. Uh, you know, the duality of life, you know, these attributes uh, in the professional career of being uh, goal-oriented and, and solution-oriented are very beneficial. You know, that's how I make my money is that I can, I can problem-solve very quickly and, and use the resources that are available to me. But when I try to manipulate that in my own mind and, and, and cut out the middleman and, and skip uh, steps in the process, like, that's what uh, causes me to kind of regress in that open-mindedness and that willingness to accept that I don't have the answers. Um, and <clears throat> getting involved in recovery, yeah, man, it, it's definitely a, a double-edged sword. Um, we talk about selfless service a lot. And uh, just, just being out there, uh, I'm an addict, man. I can use absolutely anything. I can use absolutely anything to, get, to make myself feel differently. And... And is that a, is that a part of that? Yeah, absolutely. And and but continuing to stay involved and continuing to reevaluate myself and um, recenter myself uh, that the reality situation is is that I am an addict and and I got to continue with that bearing. Um. Can you tell us a little bit about like your, your childhood and, and how you thought that played into your recovery? I know you, you mentioned like, it a little bit. Like your first signs, like thinking back now, like what can you be like, dude, I was seven years old and that was some, <laughs> that was some crackhead behavior. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, just kind of more rationalizations. You know, um, I had an older brother, and one of my older brother's favorite games was Make Lyle Cry. And uh, was he any good at it? Oh, uh, he was the best. He was, the, and there was bonus points Champion. for 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 making Lyle cry in public. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I did not appreciate the game as much as he did. Um, but so just that real feeling inferior uh, in general, but particularly in a crowd, um, I learned very quickly that I did not like that. Um, I was also, I, I'm by nature, I'm pretty good at being observant and like queuing in on social um, gestures and things like that. So I was able to kind of deflect uh, the attention away from me in, in situations like that. And so uh, I didn't like the way it made me feel on the inside. And, and so going to the wonderful tumbling grounds that is public education, um, <laughs> I realized that like what was going on on the inside of me didn't matter. And it only, it only mattered on how I appeared on the outside presentation being nine-tenths of the law. I think that's a lot of life. Mm. It's seen, you know, I remember feeling that at a young age, and I don't think that's a, that's a great way. It opens up a lot of issues for the emo, for emotion. For sure. And, like, to be the weak, to be the weak person uh, and that negative attention on you, uh, I would do absolutely anything to get away from that. Um, and so I would divorce what I was feeling on the inside of me from what I was showing on the outside. And that would manifest itself in a lot of different ways. And, and the further I could get away from those emotions on the inside of me versus what I was you know, presenting on the outside, the better I felt my social life was and, and life you know, I thought was moving, was moving better. Um, and then like entering drugs and like that just helped that so much. Damn, man, you're messed up. Yeah, 100%. So, um, it, so I had this this thing personally where it was like, I was always trying to figure out like why I became an addict. Like, who can I who can I point the finger to? Like, was it mom? Was it dad? Was it my brother? Um, and I, I think that like, eventually I got past that. Like, I was just like, all right, well, this is like a really pointless game. And on top of that, like, it's probably not, I'm not right. Like, I'm the worst person to gauge anything about myself. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not, like, a lot of pain there. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, uh, so we talk about, like, or you talk so far about, like, the wreckage of your past. What about, like, the people who hurt you? You I mean, you had mentioned um, McLeod Cry and stuff. Like, how do you, do you make, like, out and out, like, I forgive you for this? Or do you talk about it with people? Or, like, where are you at with stuff like that now? Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's... That's a difficult, that's definitely something that like I go back and forth on and I'm, I'm not a hundred percent, you know, certain of different things. Um, you know, there's definitely people that, you know, I got high with for the first time, you know, there's people that introduced me to different things, but like I would have found it by myself. You know, I would have, I would have got there by myself. Um, and for me, it's really this journey about being okay with the dirty parts of my life, being okay with the bad parts of my life and knowing that it's okay that I had these traumas, you know, that, that I went through these experiences and things like that. And that each one of us as humans go through these things. And so like the closer I can get with in touch with that in my own life, the more identification I can get with uh, other people. And, and I really think that's the, the linchpin to uh, to this continued recovery is my empathy for 
for other humans and, and accepting them for where they're at. And through that process, I can accept myself through that, where I'm at. Um, something you mentioned early on uh, is that you're a father. Mm. And uh, what, how, how does that play into your recovery? And, and uh, how has it been affected by your recovery? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is really uh, difficult and trying at times as far as like I spend a lot of time going uh, and, and, and working on my recovery. And that is time spent away from my, my family. And like, how do you reconcile with that? Because like society and, and you know, the, the social norm is that, you know, you're taking time away from your kids and, and you're taking time away from your family. Um, uh, what it boils down to is that like without recovery, like I'm not, I'm not a dad, I'm not able to be a dad. Recovery gave me the ability to be a father. And uh, although not perfect in, in any of that application, the fact of being present, um, you know, the ability to um, understand what events are important and when I am with them, to be present with them. And when they are talking to me, to really hear what they're saying and, and to be able to identify with what they're saying. And, and you know, I, for right or for wrong, um, the way in which I was parented and the successes that they had and the failures that I had, um, I try to uh, just kind of identify with my kids' pain a lot more. And the better I can identify with my own pain, the more I can identify with theirs. What do you, um, so when I was a kid, I had this, I made this, I guess it was a mistake. Well, I feel like it was a mistake now, but at the time I was just a little snot nosed kid, but like, I remember telling my parents that like basically blaming them for my addiction or, or like telling them like, well, you made this sound fun, like you drinking or, or whatever. Um, if your kids did that to you, like what, how would you respond to it? Do you have any idea? Oh Lord. Uh, <laughs> the, the internal voice would be like, you had this one coming champ. <laughs> um, yeah, j j the more I know, you know, the more I know about, um, you know, getting high and, 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 you know, separating reality from, from the inside. I know that there's an underlying issue there. You know, what is it that you feel that you're lacking? You know, do you not feel accepted? You know, do you feel pressured socially and, and to try to get to the root of, of those things, um, and talk about those real substance. Are my kids going to get high at some point in life? Yeah, they're probably going to get high at some point in their life. Um, does it have to be the same experience that I had? No, it's not going to, it doesn't have to be the same experience. The likelihood that it's going to be a similar experience to mine and many, many others, uh, is above average. The statistics are not in their favor. So the more I can let them know they're not alone and the more I can show compassion and understanding, um, I mean, as parents, you always have this, you know, how can I make my kids better than me? And like, mm -hmm. there's nothing I can do to control. Ah, that's such a loaded statement. Uh, there's, there's limited things I can do to, to control. Um, it, it, I really feel it comes down to that compassion and understanding and acceptance and, and really instilling in them that they're not alone. Sort of those spiritual values, like uh, passing those along 
and trying to trump genetics or social conditioning or anything like that was, was pretty much break the cycle. Yeah. And I and I guess you know with my with my son, both of his parents, me and his mother, both um, addicts. So in like in your situation, it is what it is at this point genetically and how the world is. But watching you know how to handle those things through dad's actions, mm. that's like the best you can do. Hundred percent. So check this out, guys. I've been waiting. <laughs> Sorry. You're going to spit some bars? <laughs> no, you'll, you'll, no, but realistically, social media and this whole thing with likes, validation, uh, presenting this best version of you to the world, um, I, I deal with it all the time, you know, with the music and stuff. Like, I want to, like, package me up and, like, sell me to somebody else. And that's not just me. I think it's happening with a lot of people, and I think it is becoming an addiction that's being talked about. Like, what do you think it says to a 12-year-old, like, I do this, and I get a lot of thumbs up. I do this, I get a lot of thumbs down. Yeah, or there's not thumbs down, but you know what I mean? I get a lot of hearts. I uh, show this picture of me. You know, it's, it's, it's tapping into the psyche, you know. It's, it's changing the way we as people think and feel. Absolutely, man. I mean, they're called filters. I mean, that you put on your picture. Uh, and that is so similar to the way that I grew up. Like, I would put on this mask, you know, I was a different person for a different social group. Um, and, and it's that, and that's that, it's that presentation, you know, this, this uh, removal of reality, let me be this persona and, and to get accepted. And like, ah, that is just not on the long-term scale, on the long arch of life, like that's not going to serve any individual well. So how do you, so that's good. That's a part of your life though, right? Like, um, and, and for us as drug addicts, like we either do the drugs or we don't like, we, we pretty much have accepted that like there's no limited moderate use for us. So like, how do we maintain, uh, something that's kind of like that quick release endorphin dopamine, I got these likes, now I'm validated. That external mean and uh, fulfilling the internal whole. How, how do you like manage that? And like without, like you can't just give it up or, or you could, but you haven't. So how do you deal with it? Oh man, daily is <laughs> <laughs> how I deal with that. It, it, is, it is so difficult, um, but it, it is a, a bunch of little things. One of the greatest things that I have the ability to have is like, I can look at examples. Like, this isn't done in just the academic realm. You know, this isn't uh, something that I can uh, read a book on and, and, and just like, oh, I understand it now. Um, s s watching it played out in, in real life and other people's lives and, and seeing their successes and failures uh, gives me the courage and the, and the strength to uh, not dive into that. Or also is, is, the, is the concept of the course correction. You know, uh, I don't have to die for my rigid ideologies today. You know, I, uh, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to go to the grave, you know, or die on this hill because like I believed in some crazy thing. Like I'm allowed to be wrong today. And that's, that's something that I'd never, never allowed myself to be during acts of addiction was wrong. What was the last thing you were wrong about? Oh, I know. Tough <laughs> one, huh? How much time you got? Um, yeah, that, uh. I, I always, you know, the, the, the concept of control, the concept of control that like 
the way that I envision something playing out is the only way that it's going to work. And, and being able to release that uh, is something I struggle with a lot. But when I do, I realize that like I'm not the designer of the universe. You know, during active addiction, I used to think I'd go to a party and like I had to pump the oxygen in the room. Otherwise, people weren't going to have a good time. And uh, it's, just, it's just a lie. It's a lie that I told myself to justify the way of which I was living. It's crazy. It, that's and that's the crazy thing about recovery. It's like I'm sitting here listening to you, Lyle, and it's I've all these years, like we've talked about, I felt so unique or like the whole world's catering to me and like nobody understands it. And then I sit here and listen to you talk and I'm just like, dude, I feel you know, the same way. Um, and it's just intense to know that uh yeah, that I'm not really alone and that, that is a common factor. And it's that you know, it's such a selfish disease. And I, for the longest time, I didn't realize like, oh, it's an ego thing. I go to treatment, they talk about ego, ego. And I'm like, I don't have a fucking ego. Like deep down, I hate myself, right? Mm. But mm. I'm constantly focusing on myself in negative ways, which is still a super selfish thing to do. Like the moment I look at others and give other people props and uh, can have some love and, and care about what others are doing or saying or feeling instead of just myself, I start losing a little bit of that like self selfish hatred and it, you know I think that's that's a, a lot of it like you might not think you're the greatest person in the world but if all you're thinking about is how much you think you suck that's still an endless selfish hole that you need to come out of or well, me at least vicious cycle nasty your face, Luke. You look so perplexed. <laughs> I was trying to think of something to say, but I'm not that clever, so I'm gonna just back away. I'm gonna let you guys go at it. You know, I, I just think about like you know, the opposite of love is not hate; it's indifference, and like it takes the amount. <laughs> I learned that from Cheers. You and I talked about that before. But I'm sorry. Go on. No, that's good. Uh, <laughs> uh, Base my life off Cheers. All right. Yeah. Warm. I was a little young for Cheers, I think. Well, we all were. Well, maybe not a while. He's about 50, but like, like you and I were, Tyler, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, you're right, man, about that self-obsession. Like, it doesn't, the emotion that we assign it doesn't really matter. It's the attention uh, um, that is, it's just this uh, loop in, in, in your head. And like, uh, obsession and compulsion is a big part of this disease. And like, I would have an obsessive thought. It did not matter what that thought was. And it would just churn and churn and churn and churn in my head until it turned into a compulsive action. And like a compulsive action, you know, is something that I didn't really intend to happen, but here I am doing it. And so one of the tools that I have today is that I have no control over thoughts that come into my brain. They just absolutely happen in there. And uh, the way that I can break that, that cycle of obsession is reaching out and get a tangent point in reality, which means like speaking it out loud to another human being and, and gain a little perspective. And then so I can break that, that cycle of obsessive thought to compulsive action by an action of letting, letting what I have on the inside out of me. And I think there's a lot of magic in that. And that's a part that like you can't get academically. You can't get by understanding this thing on a uh intellectual level you know it takes practical application and like i think a, there's a lot of function in the recovery there's a lot of uh, uh physical acts of, of doing something and to continue to do them 
I've heard a lot of people say that, um, and I think you could understand this growing up with the church background, that it really it ultimately boils down to like a spiritual void. It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual disease. And I don't think that's all of it, but I think a big part of that is you know looking outside of yourself, mm. looking at something greater, the big picture, finding out I'm not that significant. You know, I'm not the center of the universe. And in that search, I found a little bit of peace. 100%. Um, you know, there is definitely a spiritual aspect to recovery. And I really feel that it has like a practical, logical explanation. And I know that sounds counterintuitive to say there's a logic to spirituality. But at some point in time, you know, I, I came to the realization that I am not the center of the universe. I'm not the uh, uh, creator and destroyer of worlds. Apparently um, me either. Yeah, true story. <laughs> it sucks. And that, and that um, you know, there's only so many different things that I can do um, in, the, in the physical world to, to release what I have on the inside of me. You know, there's only so many hours of, of the waking day to be a part of the recovery community. Uh, people only answer their phone, you know, so often. There's only so much literature I can read in, in different capacities. There's always the in-between moments. There's always the time before, you know, you fall asleep where your mind wanders and the time that you wake up when you're trying to discern what, what was dream and what is reality. And, like, <laughs> and then there's there's the heat of battle, man. There's the heat of the day when, like, you got something pop off and, like, whoo, you don't know how to deal with it. And like to allow your, myself to like push that out of me. Like I don't know how to hold this. I need I need I need this to like off of me. Um, really has a function, and the, there there is a cause and effect to it. And uh, that that aspect is is in essence what I feel spirituality is. That that moment when something does pop off, or like something doesn't go the way you planned, or something really hurts. In that first or second or third time that that happens and your brain immediately goes, get high, get high. But mm. you don't like those victories. I think build up like this armor with somebody, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I've been through shit or I've seen other people go through stuff and I didn't go. You start beating that impulse. You start like finding other ways to deal with it. And it gets easier as time goes along. And even early in recovery this round, um, uh, I feel very strongly about that. And like, like you were saying, I've heard a lot of people say it's all right to feel whether mm. it's bad or good, just deal with it, see it through. And at the end of it, ultimately you're going to feel better that you didn't just go backwards. Right. Um, yeah, that, that, that time period of emotion hitting you, uh, to action, um, for me, like to get a little bit of space in between that. Of, of initial initial feeling uh, versus action to, to gain a little bit of space in between those two things um, ha has given me um, a lot of uh, good things. It saved me from doing a lot of stupid things, I should say. Um, and, and there's different tools that, that I've been able to, that I've picked up in, in recovery that uh, gives me the strength and courage to do that. Because like... <laughs> Uh, I would wait for that stuff during active addiction. You know, please give me a reason. Please give me a reason to flip out and then go get high because I want to deal with flipping out. Um, and, and in recovery, it's, it's uh, you know, allow me the, the strength to like 
to get out of myself and hear what's going on and to actually take, uh, you know, what reality is trying to show me right now. I believe uh, the kids are saying, I wish a motherfucker would. Is that right? <laughs> Building the cabin, I believe it is. I wish somebody would rob this house. Uh, Building the cabin deep in the wish a motherfucker would. Oh, oh okay. I get the wood yeah. double. Uh, that's a homin phone. Um, <laughs> that, that's the educational portion of this episode. So a really important question for you, Lyle. Uh, Marvel or DC? Oh, I am a... I am definitely a Marvel supremacist. Uh, Marvel is, whoa, is, whoa, is easy, <laughs> easy. Marvel is uh, uh, is where it's at for me. I'm a big comic book geek. Yeah. Did you see Captain Marvel? I did see Captain Marvel. What'd you think? Uh, I took my 13 year old daughter to it, and uh, she aptly pointed out that she really liked it, but she was it was designed for her to like. So I thought, oh, wow. I thought wow. I was, She's yeah. not, can we get her on the show? Uh, that was, it's clever. Maybe in a couple of years. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I thought, it, I thought it was good. Uh, little, little, you know, comic book movies are not made for comic book readers, but uh, it, it, it furthers the, uh, the storyline, so I can dig it. I saw it with my little boy. Uh, um, he's five. But, like, he followed it pretty well, and he seemed to really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that... I don't. I liked it a lot. Going, but it was with him, you know, and like just seeing how he liked it, and you know, he's 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 easily entertained. But see, me and my son are big Batman dudes. Mm. We love Batman. I can I can dig it. Do I detect a fist fight? At three years old, his favorite movie was The Dark Knight, and like, you let him watch that. His grandparents weren't too stoked about it. (laughs) He was quoting the Joker. He got in trouble because he's quoting the Joker. He ledger lines at at preschool uh, or at daycare. But I, I try not to censor my my son too much. Oh. No, I, th- I, th- I think it was a good movie to you know to create more fans, the next generation of fans. Um, you know, anything that gets you involved with uh, with comics is is I think just so huge uh, to have heroes, to have heroes in the world. Uh, definitely uh, benefited my life as a super uh, as a comic book character. Uh, mm. Who do you think best represents you as a father? As a father. Boom. We got a couple more of these comments, so I'm just you know, okay. As a meditate on that for a second. Give me the next one. That's a tough one. Reed uh, Richards. Uh, what was your favorite comic growing up? So uh, the, the character, lead character. Um, I was a big X Force fan. Uh, so uh, uh, the last Deadpool movie that came out uh, had a guy called Cable in it, and he was uh, he was definitely my favorite growing up. He had some guns, didn't he? He had some guns. Yeah. Uh, he was a little bit of a different character in the comics, but yeah, he's a. He's a bad, I meant like the. Um, bad man. Yeah, no physical guns. Yeah, 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 yeah well, yeah. not not like muscles, but like bang he, bang. He had both. Ah, I he like it. Both. Um, so now like, I, I thought I knew a lot about. Now I just feel out of the comic realm. Don't worry, there's so many. It's, it's very yeah. deep. Wow. So, like, do you, are you one of those people who has, like, a room full of comics and, like, they're all well-maintained and, like, they're in the sleeves no, and don't touch them? that's my brother. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I have action figures. I, right I, I have an absurd amount of action figures. How, have you had those since you were a kid or did that start, like... No, as a kid, I really got into into the Marvel universe like through trading cards. I mean, it was the nineties. Tops cards, is that yeah, right? I think Tops did put out a few, um, but yeah, just just the the trading cards and like seeing all the different characters and and seeing like what their abilities were, like that was really cool for me. Do you guys remember when you could go to the comic shop, give them a card, mm-hmm. and they would take like an Exacto knife? And like 3D it and put a case on it. Do you remember that? No. no. There was a place that I grew up in Punxsy. <laughs> okay. And uh, 
I would this dude would do that like I'd take in I used to have a like for some reason I remember having giant stacks of wizard magazine okay. mm-hmm. remember that magazine yeah, of course. and I'd pick a character and I'd go down there like I want this dude and this guy would like take an exacto blade and like carve out all these layers and then like sell us this 3D card Unless this was a very lucid dream. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this happened. How much meth do you think? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a nice bath salt memory, brother. Damn. So, okay, um, what about as a worker? What comic book character represents you as like an employee? Oh, jeez, evil genius. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, as an employee. God, that's difficult. I got the addiction one. You can ask that one as you guys silently... Yeah, that- don't worry, that'll be coming up next. Yeah. There's a no vaping um, rule, but I... Yeah. We're addicts, so we're breaking it. <laughs> we, we're breaking all our rules. As a worker. God, I don't think I have an answer for that one. Who What's you? the best... Well, okay, taking uh, your personal feelings out of this, with, uh, with, with how you feel emotionally, what, what's the best, best comic book movie that's been out in the last 10 years? Uh, for you, hands down. I don't know about hands down. I'm a big fan of 2008 Hulk, Ed Norton Hulk. That was, I felt that was a really good one. Um, Doctor Strange was a good one. How they did Darmamu, the, the big bad guy. I thought that was pretty pretty good. Um, My son loves Hulk. Yeah. Winter, loves Winter Hulk. Soldier and Captain America Winter Soldier was definitely a good cut. Favorite 90s comic book cartoon? Oh, Spider-Man, hands down, the animated series Spider-Man. What about X-Men, my friend? X-Men, well, all right, so that was like... probing you for just, you weren't thinking about X-Men. Yeah, 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 no, so those, between Spider-Man, Spider-Man was like after school uh, uh, cartoon, and and, and X-Men was Saturday morning cartoon. Saturday morning was a very, like, special time. And like, dude, when that music hit, like, you're Mm -hmm. hitting your brother, you're you're jumping off the couch, like, it was, it was bananas. Yeah. Oh yeah. Flipping, flipping over for that. And uh, Saturday mornings were pretty sweet. I think that's definitely <sighs> where some addiction began with like just loading up with sugar, no parental supervision, television. Rocco's yeah. modern life. Stuff, to, stuff being sold to you through the tube. Flashing yeah. lights. Right. Excitement. And, and that that theme song, man. That, uh, yeah. I, I can't wait till I'm like senile, which is going to happen probably sooner than you guys. And like I'm going to be in a nursing home and I'm just going to be like singing these theme songs. not too far off. For no, sure. I'm looking forward to it. You know, like I, I think we're all going to have a lot of fun when I lose my freaking mind. <laughs> totally. So, okay. Super villain. Who represents your... The disease of addiction. Your, your disease. <laughs> super villain. Uh, well, so like... <laughs> and or shared, superhero. Or superhero, yeah, yeah. you know. So I've shared this with, with a lot of... Uh, or Not a lot of people. A couple of people. Uh, the Hulk. The Hulk is absolutely my best uh, uh, explanation on, on what the disease of addiction is. Um, you know... I think about that that 2008 you know movie with Ed Norton in it you know and it kind of ends on you know, the whole movie is like him trying to control this Hulk you know him trying to control his heart rate and 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 keep himself out of you know toxic situations or whatever and uh, you know that movie ends on him meditating and and being at peace and then opening his, his eyes with the, with the green eyes and then like flash forward to the first Avengers movie different actor being the Hulk. Um, you know, and, and, and the Chitauri are coming down to, uh, invade New York and, uh, you know, I think it's Iron Man or something like that is like, you know, Banner, don't you want to, don't you want to get angry now? It's time for the Hulk, you know? And he's like, that's my, that's my secret, man. I'm always angry. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the turning point is like 
my, my disease is like this rage monster inside of me that is just dying to get out at all aspects and and uh trying to control that trying to like keep it inside of its cage or or whatever is really really difficult and so coming into that acceptance that like this is a part of me like this is a part of who i am and like i need to use it for my benefit you know or her i need to use it for I need to accept that it's a part of me is really what it boils down to. And uh, um, like, like I was saying with, with, you know, that there's certain characteristics that I have that are beneficial in my professional career. Uh, I had a job not that long ago that um, really required me to, uh, I get accused of overthinking a lot of things. And, <laughs> no. uh, and uh, there was a job that required a significant amount of planning and thinking and, and how to make all these pieces fit together and, and, and like I had a, I had a supervisor come to me and was like, okay, I, I need you to handle this. And it's like, I, I get to let him out. Like I get to let the, I get to let the beast out and like, <laughs> and go full hog on this. And, uh, and it, it's, it's cool to have that in there. Um, but to know it's, to know it's place and to have those boundaries. Like that's something we have to talk about, but like boundaries are so key, uh, in, in my prolonged success in life. Um, so yeah, Hulk, hands down Hulk. All right, so I heard the word boundaries and you said something about success and then I realized I don't have any boundaries. So like, mm. uh, help me out here. Like, uh, how, do, how do boundaries work? Because like, I sometimes think that like boundaries are for the other person, but mm. I've heard they're actually for me, which is crazy. Because like, I thought I, did, I thought I did everything for myself. But, um, <laughs> and like, how do I develop them? How do I know where they fit? Like, t- tell us about boundaries, bro. So you're saying they're important. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and like I should caveat this by saying like I suck at them. <laughs> like, right? Absolutely, it it's a it's a learned it's a learned behavior, because um, because you get this uh, get this feeling of absolutes that like I have to be this, I have to be whatever I am, I have to be it at all times, and like I can get hemmed up with like somebody coming at me like, well, you said you were gonna do this, and 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 now you're not, so you're a fraud. Like you are now invalid and everything you've ever done is worthless. And, and, uh, that to, to have boundaries, uh, for myself is that like, uh, I can, I can be, I can have levels or, or seasons or, or, or places that, you know, I don't have to be on at all times. Like at work, like I gotta be on, like I gotta be, I gotta be functioning and I gotta be going and, 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 um, you know, in recovery, like, I, uh, I have to be honest and, 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 you know, uh, talk to other guys in, in, in recovery. Uh, but then there's times that like, you know, I need to go to bed on time. Like I need to go to bed that like I can be functioning at work the next day, which is difficult. Um, you know, my brain doesn't always shut off at the right time and other people's brains don't shut off at the same time. And so, um, and, but I, but I want to help, you know, I want to, I want to be available and, 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 and to be there for someone that, you know, needs it because they have, they might have something that I need too. And to have hmm. those boundaries, um, is, is difficult and they don't have to be as rigid. Um, so there was an experience in my life, um, that I had not that long ago. Um, I, uh, um, was living in a house and, uh, I had my daughters at home and uh, um, I was out doing yard work and my girls were inside. I was out doing yard work and the neighbors were smoking weed and like in their garage or whatever. 
And I'm like, ah, well, they were smoking weed through dryer sheets. You know, oh, I, yeah. And like, so I was like, oh, super clever guys. I'm raking up clippings. I'm like, oh, that's... that's we can a, still sift that that's out. A, that's adorable. You must be doing <laughs> laundry today. Um, and, and so like, okay, whatever. And I'm, I'm doing work. And uh, my youngest daughter comes out and she's playing in the yard and stuff like that. And by this time, uh, they had dropped the dryer sheets and we're just smoking. And, uh, and man, like, I don't know what it was inside of me. And, uh, that was like, I have to say something, you know, this, I'm at my house. I should be able to do yard work and have my children outside and them not have to smell weed. And, and so like I sent my daughter inside and I, and I, and I said something to my neighbor. I said like, Hey man, you shut the garage door. And he kind of looked at me like, like I had three heads or whatever. I was like, shut the garage door. I don't want my kids smelling your weed. And like the balls on me to say that to somebody else, given my past, like the irony was not lost on me. <laughs> um, and so the kid kind of just was like, yeah, 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 of course, you know, of course. Um, and so he shuts the garage door and, and uh, uh, all, all my kids are outside now and, and they're outside and, uh, and, and the dad, <laughs> the dad comes out and like confronts me about it. And, and so I send my girls inside and I have a conversation with, with, with the dad at the time. And, uh, he's like, uh, Hey, Hey, Hey man, uh, I heard you thought the kids were smoking weed. And I was like, yeah, man. Cause, cause they were. And he wanted to like debate me on like, well, do you smell it now? And I'm like, listen, champ, this is not, this is not where this is going at all. You know, uh, <clears throat> I explained to him the situation and he's like, Oh, okay. You know, but he's, he wanted to like belabor this point on like, the the <clears throat> the facts that were like right now and uh i was like man is it really outside the realm of possibility that they were doing that he said well well no <laughs> that's all i'm looking for man that's all, that's, all, that's all i'm here for and so like that whole experience like so so you know we, we broke our ways and stuff and and like i had to i had to call somebody in recovery real quick because like holy shit i was fired up about it and like it was a boundary that i didn't know that i had you know, that like the situation I was in and my kids were involved and stuff like that. And like, uh, it was really weird. And, and uh, where I was living at the time, uh, I was kind of outside my means, you know, I was definitely in a, in a, in a place that was more than I can handle, uh, given my changed living situation. Um, and, and it really made me evaluate, like, what am I doing this all for? You know, like, what, what are the, what are the true motives here? And like, I had to make a, I had to make a hard call about moving, you know, and moving into something that was a little bit more manageable and moving into a, a place that like, um, I could better raise my children in. And, and like, there was a lot of change that came with that and a lot of, a lot of problems, but yeah, that was, that was a boundary I didn't know I had, but came up very quickly. See, I think, I think especially with, with how weed is now, it just like, it's so it's more and more available it's a thing that's gonna it's here to stay you know and it's like losing any sort of consequence and it's becoming like medical and all that stuff and like my whole thing is like i don't like with boundaries i don't have an issue with my buddies because i do music dude i got a lot of friends that like smoke weed and have a drink of wine or something and they never they've never had the problems that i have and uh, it's not that like oh i condemn those people but like i have to decide Kind of with what you were saying, like, is that a good place for me? Is that a good place for my kids? Do I I have boundaries today? The old me would have walked over there with my kids in the yard, maybe. Hey, I could get a hit of that, mm -hmm. you know. But for it's sure. it's um, 
with me with the people at work. Like I work with people that um that are on the vape pen, mm. you know, smoking weed all the time right around me. And uh, it's not really my place to be like, hey, weed's bad, you know, you dicks. No, I just like, you know what, I'm gonna go in the back. Or I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna hit it. <laughs> but it's like it is putting up these boundaries for yourself or your families in this world that's uh you know, not to judge it, but it's just I know what you're saying. Yeah, and I think I think that's a real important distinction. You know, it it doesn't it didn't allow me to go on a crusade. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't I didn't need to have retribution or justice served or anything like that. Um and it really that situation really didn't, you know, I guess I just needed to go through it for me. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the, the variables in there could change a million different ways. And uh, it, was, it was something that, like, I needed to go through on a personal level, dealing with the wreckage of my own past and what I put my kids through and things like that. And, uh, yeah. You know, um, th- that brings up something that I realize we haven't asked you yet uh, or, or maybe I think like the, the point should be made, but like as a person recovery, um, you can't smoke weed. You can't drink. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's an important thing. Um, Once you're all better, we can smoke this joint, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, that's, 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 you know, you kind of a question you, you asked early on, but like it, f- for me, it, the, it, it's a complete abstinence thing. And like, man, that line gets blurred more and more as the days go on. But it, it's really, um, do I have to take this? You know, the, the line that, like, my disease loves playing, and I've heard it a lot of times, is like, well, can't you just have one, whatever that one is? Can't I just have, and, and, the, and the reply to that is like, oh, I can have a lot. You know, <laughs> like, I can have, I, the, you, don't have you don't have enough here for me. And, 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 but really the, the response is like, can, can I not have one, you know? And, and it's not a matter of, you know, I'm not a man or, or I'm inferior because I can't, uh, do this or, or like, you know, my whole paradigm goes away because of this one thing. Um, it's, I, I make the conscious choice and decision to not. Because I know where it's going to lead me. I, uh, uh, my, my history has dictated uh, patterns of, of behavior. And uh, I don't want to have to drop a paycheck on a bad day anymore. I realized that a while ago. I think, I think we've talked about this before, Lyle, driving around or something. Um, I was saying, like, the reason the, I really found out I had an issue when I spent 15 years, like you were talking earlier, coming up with combinations like, well, can I just drink? Can I just smoke? Can I just do this? And it's like I'm so obsessed with coming up with some solution that ends with me getting high. And it's like, well, first off, if I'm that obsessed with like trying to find this perfect tailored combination where it allows me to use drugs successfully, like why w- do I have such a need to do that? Mm. Like it's only resulted in problems. Uh, I've lo- lost friends, relationships career things, all sorts of stuff, because like, I'm so dead set on like, I can do this successfully. Like it's socially acceptable. Why can't I? And at the end of the day, it's like, it's like, why not just throw in the towel? Like, why do I have such a need to feel outside of myself? Mm. Nah, I think true addicts, um, will find that at the end of every, at the end of every chemical that like, I can't handle this. Mm. doesn't agree with me. Not much does agree with me. I make sure people don't either by my general personality and the way I act and talk, which uh, I, I hope that'll change at some point. Um, Such a poet, Luke. No. 
Um, Easy, Sylvia. <laughs> oh, head in the oven. Uh, that's how she killed herself. This is getting dark. Um, it's getting dark. Do you uh, do you have any do you have anything like final thoughts that you want anything you want to grill him about? I feel like I grilled him. Well, I bit. think uh, I, we appreciate your time, Lyle. I think that was uh, it was awesome to have you here. Uh, we're trying to figure out the ropes of how we want to run this thing, and like like I said, you were first on my list just because you know I'm early on in recovery currently, and you were one of those guys that's been there for me 24/7. Um, we've went snowboarding, we had a good time. And I, talking to Luke, um, me and Luke are kind of geared a lot with like art and recovery and things that we're going to get to later on in these podcasts. But right off the rip, I wanted to, I wanted to get into it with you and like blessed to have you. And uh, I would just advise any listeners to, to stick with us on this journey. We'll touch some more recovery stuff. Who knows if Lyle might come back on at some point. But um, is there anything else you want to say, man? No, I just uh, uh, really appreciate you guys, uh, you know, going down this this road. And, uh, you know, this is a, a, a difficult topic, but I think awareness is going to help. Um, you know, for anybody out there that's struggling with addiction in any form or fashion, to just, like, encourage you that you're not alone. And, uh, you know, there is life after addiction um, or, or recovering from it. Uh, there is fun in recovery. Yeah, things do happen. And, uh, yeah, man, that you're, that you're not alone. And I, th- I think it's safe to say, like, if anybody that's listening to this, like, has some questions or, like, maybe wants to look into some of the avenues that we hit with recovery to just maybe, like, you know, we'll be all tagged in this post. Hit us with a private message. I know I would love to guide some people in the right direction. There's hotlines. There's websites. Yeah. There's, there's people out there who care about you, love you, yeah. and uh, – um, yeah, it's, just, it's like you were talking about willingness, and that, that's a huge component. Um, and uh, I believe there's some book out there that says when we were beaten, we became willing. Mm. Um, you know, you, 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 we can give up when we want to give up. Not I wish I'd given up sooner myself, but... Um, not until the pain is great enough. Right, absolutely. I appreciate you coming on so much. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you so much for being our first guest. It was a wonderful experience for us. My pleasure, and it's an honor. Thanks, man. I'm no longer afraid of what I used to be.